listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 178. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with sports performance hypnotherapist Stuart Wade to talk about his past experiences and how hypnosis can help better sport performance. Stuart shares his story of how he discovered the power of the mind and body, how he became interested in hypnosis, and how he adapted hypnosis to sport and mental training. If you want to see how hypnosis can improve sport performance and anxiety, this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Stuart, how are you? Hi, Grant. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Man, uh, after our, our pre-call, uh, man, I got really excited. I got more excited to, to talk to you about not only what you do as a hypnotherapist, what you do for athletes and high performers, but beyond that, it's your story, your story of adversity, your story, that how you overcame adversity through your life. Um, in, in your athletic story, how that was a part of that journey as well. And I can't wait to share that with my listeners today. Absolutely. Same here. All right, let's get into it. Mental toughness, man, people are going to find out here in the next few moments or minutes on your mental toughness, what you had to go through, uh, through your journey as an athlete and also as a human. Um, when you think about being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? I think being mentally tough is having the, I'll say, ability or skill set um, to deal in the most effective way that you can with whatever is thrown at you in, in either life or in your sport or whatever it might be, because things happen and often do happen outside of our control. The only thing that we can control is the response to that. And I think being mentally tough is having that ability to respond in the best way, even to the biggest curveballs that might get thrown at you in life. And as opposed to getting lost or crumbling under that pressure and throwing the towel in, um, it's the ability to find a way through it in the best way for you at that time, I think, whatever that might be. You know, what I love about it is you said it a few times, you said respond. And a lot of times when we're not trained, we, you know, or we don't, we're not conscious, we're not in the present moment, that we, we tend to react, mm -hmm. we make wrong decisions or not the right decision. So for you, you use that a lot as responding. And I think 
you know, with, with what you and I do with athletes is teaching them how to respond and not to react. And so I, I love that. I love that word track that you kept on saying. Now, when you look at your whole career, even, even as, uh, as a hypnotherapist, but even as an athlete coach, when you reflect on your whole career, like, is there that, that one mental, mental toughness moment where you had to be mentally tough? Can you be like specific with the story within your career to share with my listeners on what that mental tough, mental toughness moment was? Okay. So for me, I, uh, I was, I was bullied a little bit growing up and, uh, and so that was a challenge in itself, but in terms of, I'll, I'll go into the kind of athletic moments of that. I, I went through a period where my training could have been better. I'm under no illusions about that. And my diet could have been better as well. hundred percent. But I went through a stage when I was competing where I would start to fatigue quite badly and during the competition. And more so than anything else, it affected me psychologically because I would be then thinking outside of the competition, either before it happened or, or even in like the warm up, you know, is it going to happen again? And, and I would, I, tend to be quite an analytical person mm-hmm. sometimes to my detriment because I would start thinking oh my god it's going to happen again and you know what if it happens again and blah, blah, and then going down that negative train of thought instead and then having to overcome that and keep a level head and then go out and perform to the best of my ability at that time and so that was that was a challenge and I I overcame that by seeking help. And that was me doing my own research and the, the knowledge that I had from my uh, days at school with sports psychology and then the sports psychology modules that we covered at university during my degree. But I sought out help from a professional. And mm. it, with me, it, was, it happened to be a clinical hypnotherapist. And the work that I had with him really opened my eyes as to how powerful the mind really is when you get it working for you. And, and it helped me to overcome those issues and build my mental toughness in regard to responding, like we said before, in a better way. When those automatic negative thoughts might have popped up, I'd then respond in a more positive way rather than letting it spiral and overcome me and, and then being detrimental to my performance afterwards. When you, which is real, man, like what, what you were going through as an athlete, um, if you were to, cause hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy is like, it's a perfect um, intervention for that, what you were going through. But when we talk about mental skills, you know, what, what came up for me is another way to address that or to, um, yeah, to address it is, is self-talk. Cause a lot of what I was hearing a lot, and this happened to me, it happened to me a lot when I was, when I was playing American football, is that when the fear comes in, we start get, we get so future-based focused. Like, what if this happens? What if, what if I don't do well? You know, what if I get hurt? Like, what if, what if it's in the future? So to get us back into the present moment, I used, you know, and I teach a lot of that, that, that powerful self-talk to get us back in the present moment, to get back into our language, back into what we can control. 
Um, how was your language back then as an athlete, um, your, your internal talk and how has that improved until now? Cause I know you're still competing. You're still, you're still in martial, martial arts. So share with my listeners a little bit about that. So, yeah, I think honestly, back then at around this sort of time, I wasn't as conscious of my own self-talk as, as I am now. And as I, as I have become over the years and you touched on being conscious and being present and aware before Grant. And, and I think you're exactly right because you have to be aware of the words that you're telling yourself. And not only that, but the, the feeling and the emotion that goes with those words, because oftentimes it's, it's not just, a word without feeling that there's a lot of emotion in those words sometimes that we tell ourselves rightly or wrongly. And it's, it's gauging that correctly. And so I think going back to your question at the time, I think I would be telling myself the wrong things. My self-talk wouldn't be Mm. very uh, productive, quite counterproductive actually. But then since I've become aware of that, I would, I would be able to catch myself and, recognize that I'm not my thoughts and these things are just those automatic negative thoughts that, that sometimes the mind just throws out there. And I'm able now to choose my words more positively and tailor my self-talk more towards either the outcome that I'm wanting to produce or just the way that I'm wanting to perform and the way that I'm wanting to feel being more of a kind of a process self-talk as opposed Mm. to a a product self-talk, if that makes sense. So yeah, tell myself that I'm, I'm going, going out there to perform to the best of my ability, or I'm going to do certain skills or certain techniques rather than I'm going to win or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, that's that's how I would approach it now. That's awesome. Yeah, because I think there's there's different kinds of self talk. There's that that motivational self talk. You know, I got this. I'm a champion. Let's rip. Let's go. Let's show up. Like that's that motivation. And there's the instructional self talk where where you're walking yourself through the technique or you're walking through yourself through the process, and you're not thinking about anything else except for that process. So you're dialed in. You're locked in. You know, with that instruction and with your language, and then if you can, you know, get the reps in where you can actually put some emotion into it, you know, then you're even more connected. And, and that's what I love about what you just said about, you know, words are just words, but sometimes, especially in performance, if you can connect the emotion to it and, and I'm, I'm going to riff here a little bit, I'm going to bring in some, some hip, hypnotherapy on this, but sure. how can hypnotherapy inject some of that? And, and I could become from left field here, but like, if someone's trying to increase their internal dialogue, their, their self-talk, how does this intervention help that? How can, cause I will work with athletes all the time and, and I'm, you know, it's a process to get them because they tell me words all the time. Like I'm a champion, I'm a leader, but then they, they're just saying that because they know that they've heard it, but they don't know what that feeling is. And I, again, you can do a lot of visualization and some other techniques, but how can, how can hypnotherapy kind of increase that, that internal dialogue? So. I'll give a little example to illustrate my point. Someone is in a hypnotic trance. Their brainwaves have changed from that beta state 
through an alpha state into the theta state there, which is where the magic happens. Essentially, that's where we're most suggestible. And the filter and the the critique of the conscious mind is kind of put to one side. And so I can then be giving positive suggestions to that client that is going to buy, bypass those filters and kind of going straight into the hardware, essentially, of the mind. And I can then program certain neural pathways with certain phrases and certain terminology that's going to resonate with that person. And going in at that deeper level, they'll adopt it more deeply and it, it will it will have a, a more positive effect on them. The example that I'll provide is with a, a former client of mine from a, a number of years ago who was after um, weight loss. So she wasn't an athlete. She she was just having hypnotherapy with me for losing weight. And from what she had told me, she didn't say it in these words, but everything that she was saying to me, it my perception was that she felt like she was out of control with her food. You know, she was a mother, she was working full time, she was trying to exercise as well. She, you know, she was running around after family and all all the things that a lot of people have to do in in day-to-day life, but it's I got the impression that she felt like it was a bit out of control. You know, things happened and she just had to react rather than respond, you know, around right. her. And so one of the one of the hypnotic suggestions that I gave her during a hypnosis hypnosis session was that you are in control or you are in complete control of the way you respond to these situations. And I kept saying that over and over while she was in hypnosis. And what I found amusing, but also uh, I was really pleased with it because it it just showed that it had gone in, you know, it had gone into her mind. The yeah. following time I saw her, we were discussing, you know, how the week had been. So this was a week removed from that session. And so, you know, how's it been? What have you been like with your food intake? How have you been feeling about your food, your diet, etc.? And the first thing that she said to me was, I'm really surprised because I've just felt so in control all week. And that was her exact words, you know, after I'd been saying you are in control over and over and over again. And she, and she'd been so much better with her diet that week as a result. And she said, like I say, she just said, I've just felt completely in control. And that's an example of how hypnotherapy can help because we can, we can get down into the subconscious mind and rewire some neural pathways there and, and then really get more feeling to that self-talk provided that it's resonant with the clients and what they're after. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's programming. In, mm-hmm. in, in, in a very positive way. I know some people are like, well, I don't be programmed. Well, <laughs> you're living in, in, in a very hardware software world right now. We all are. Uh, so if we, can, if we can get our system, you know, and also remove the apps or the software or the hardware that's not needed anymore, um, you have more control, you know, and you'll have more, you'd be more connected to your system. So, so I love that. Now, I'm, we're going to jump back to to hypnotherapy and what you're doing for clients um, and kind of your, your journey with that. Mm-hmm. But I want to get a little bit um, as an athlete, because you spent majority of your, your whole life in martial arts. Um, you spent most of it too in various um, roles, if you will, for the national team for Great Britain. Um, share a little bit about that, your journey, what got you into martial arts and, and kept you not only 
not only doing it and going through all the ups and downs, but like staying with the national team. Cause it seems like when you were sharing that story, it's like, there's like kind of this up and down, a lot of politics, a lot of things that you couldn't control, but you kept on doing it. Uh, share a little bit about that story. Sure. Sure. So I, I first started when I was six years old and apparently I, I don't remember this, but apparently I was being bullied at school and that was why my parents wanted to put me into some form of martial arts just to boost my confidence and, and to teach me to defend myself. You know, as I say, I don't remember that, but what I do remember is that my dad was always a big fan of Bruce Lee. He was sort of mid teens at the time when the big Bruce Lee boom was happening. You know, I remember him telling me that him and his friends would be doing flying sidekicks across the, the, the um, classrooms at school and stuff like that. And so, so even from that young an age, I remember watching the old VHS tapes of Enter the Dragon and other Bruce Lee films because they were in the house and my dad was a big fan. So that obviously those two things were what got me into martial arts. But then I, I think I must have had a bit of an aptitude for it anyway, a bit of a, a natural ability for it. And I really enjoyed it. And so it, it was something that definitely boosted my confidence. Being, being bullied at school and being a little bit shy and, and things like that, it made me feel good to know that I was actually good at something. You know, I could, I could do this and I, I could get the belts, you know, that the belt system really helps as well in terms of a sense of achievement. Right. And, you know, you, it's a great marker of progress as you go. And so I kept going with that. I didn't really enjoy competing at the time because I, I started competing when I was like six and I didn't really enjoy it so much until I got a little older, but, um, but yeah, it was it was that enjoyment of it and the visible progress of getting the next belt that kept me interested and kept me engaged. And, and I realized that, that I had had a decent skill level there and I was quite good at it. And in terms of the, the competition and the politics that surrounds all of that stuff, as we've mentioned before, what kept me going was that with that was, I, I always just wanted to prove not necessarily to anybody else, but prove to myself that I was good at this, mm. you know, and that I mind I was the best at it. And, um, and that kept me going. And one of the reasons that I wanted to go to around the different organizations and the different governing bodies competing was to compete against different people. And just, again, to just prove to myself that, well, I'm, I'm the best out there. It doesn't matter which organization it is, you know, I'm the best. And, um, yeah. So that, that's what kept me going, kept me training and competing. And when I hear your story, it seems like, which is beautiful because this is, this is the kind of stuff that gets me fired up is that it was more, you're more, more motivated intrinsically. Mm. It wasn't nothing. Um, I mean, obviously, yes, the belts, that, that's great for accomplishment and motivation um, in medals and all that stuff. I, I get that, but mm. it was more than that for you. It was an inside out. Um, approach it seems like yeah yeah i would agree with that you know the like you say the belts and the trophies and medals and stuff are are nice to have you know but um yeah i think if it's if it's something that motivates you intrinsically you're going to get so much more value out of that in the long run and and it's going to keep you going i think big time big time well when you think about 
your athletic career um, and all the things that you had to deal even outside of sport with life. But what do you think, what was your proudest moment and what was your hardest moment and how did you get over that? How did you deal with it? It's a good question. I think proudest moments, I probably have a couple. Um, mm-hmm. And the first one of those I would probably say would be getting my black belt. Um, and I got my black belt at the age of eight. Still not entirely sure on how that worked out chronologically because it was supposed to take roughly three years, you know. So, and yet mm-hmm. I, I got it before I was nine years old, but I'd also tested for it previously and failed. And that was a big moment because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm from a, a smaller town in the north of England. And for my first black belt grading, there was a, a bus full of students, you know, Taekwondo athletes from Doncaster, my hometown. And we were all traveling down towards London to a city just north of London. And there was the grading was with students from all over the country. The, the grading panel was about 10 different Korean masters who had flown in just for that grading. So none of us, you know, they didn't know any of us. We didn't know any of them. And there was a bit of a language barrier. And the way that you found out after the grading had happened, the way that you found out whether you'd passed or failed was that someone on the panel would read your name out if you'd passed and they skipped you if you failed. So we were sat in this massive hall in, in a college in this, in this town called Stevenage and everybody, there was probably about, I would say maybe 300, 400 students in total sat in there from kids as, as young as sort of my age, right up to adults going for black belt and various Dan grades. And we were all sat cross-legged in rows of um, grade and chronological order. And so, you know, we knew the people around us by name. And so when their name got read out, you'd be thinking, okay, I'm next. And they skipped my name and they went to the person next to me. And I was eight years old and that absolutely destroyed me. You know, I was, especially because my, my coaches back home told me that, I don't know if you say this in America, but um, my coaches told me that I would walk it, which over here means means you'll pass easily. You'll, you'll do it. You'll win, you know, easily. So I was told that prior. So I went in with a lot of confidence thinking I'm going to do this, you know, and I failed. So I I was absolutely heartbroken, but I, and I, again, I don't know if it was my parents that pushed me into going, you know, and test again, or if it was me wanting to go back and prove myself, I'm not sure on the details of that. But then when I tested again for my black belt and passed, the sense of gratification that that was that was fantastic that was one of the proudest moments certainly and then the other one would probably be when i won won the world title in sicily um in italy there because one of the people that i had to beat was a, a friend of mine but also competitive rival and he we were big rivals on the on the tournament circuit yeah and uh and i i beat him to win the world title so um yeah, he 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 likes to remind me that he's beaten me in competition more times than I've beaten him, but it was only in the nationals, and I always like to remind him that uh, I won the big one. I won I won when it counted, you know. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, and as for as for yeah, worst moment, I think I've answered that inadvertently there with the failure mm-hmm. of the black belt the first time. Right. That was uh, 
yeah, that was a rough one. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting, like failing sucks. It just does. But the, the more that we can actually have a relationship with failure and know it's a part of the process of to be successful mm-hmm. is where we want to work with athletes and performers to have a better relationship with failure. At eight years old, dealing with failing probably sucks. But I think that the earlier you can actually be with it, go through the motions, work through it, go and, you know, obviously have a support system, uh, especially when you're that young. Mm-hmm. But do you think as much as it sucked at being eight, in, you know, eight years old and going through all those emotions in the moment, do you think it was beneficial for you to, to deal with that early in your life? And, and how has that shown up throughout your life as far as dealing with adversity? That, did that moment, was that a milestone moment for you? 100%. Because I, I vowed shortly after that to myself that I would never fail a grading again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. You know, uh, that, that situation, like you say, it had to happen. And I think because it happened early, it then set the precedent, you know, that, yeah, this, this is not fun. You know, I don't like feeling like this, so I'm going to do everything that I can that's within my control to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And sure enough, you know, it's happened outside of my control. There's, there's been tournaments that I, I felt that I won and, and I'd ended up losing and, what one of them through through the the joys of social media there's a photograph with me on the second step of the podium from the world championships in holland in uh, 2012 there's a, a photograph on facebook somewhere with with me with a very um annoyed face i'll say because i i should have won that one and everybody said it all or everybody that was watching from various different countries they all told me that i should have won that and and it looked like there was a little bit of um, influence, shall we say, for for this Turkish guy, and he mm. ended up he ended up winning. You know, winning. Right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not bitter about it at all, but um, <laughs> but but yeah, you know. So, but I've dealt with that, and yeah, having that experience early on, I think definitely equips you with, as, as you've said there, Grant, just the ability to o- overcome it and deal with it better in the future. If you if you've never lost anything or you've never failed at anything, then you, you can kind of develop a false sense of security with it and think that you're invincible or infallible. And when that's not the case, you know, and at any given day, it, it might not go your way and you have to be prepared to deal with that if and when it happens. Exactly. You know, and then, and then the, other, the other side of it is, you know, if you don't have the relationship with failure, people can fall into that, the real negative self-talk, but it's more or less of, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Why do I do all this hard work and I never win and they become a victim and there's all sorts of stuff that can unravel. And, you know, obviously what can happen is someone can quit their sport or they can take it to the extreme, you know, and I've, we've seen these stories where people take their lives because they, they put so much pressure and the expectation and there's all these things. And at the end of the day, none of the stuff that they put on themselves, they had no control of just getting, getting them back into control, focusing on the process or, or progress over perfection. Cause a lot of times people get caught in that perfectionism. So, mm. you know, so it's, it's, it's a really, um, when I heard your story, I'm like eight years old and you had to deal with that, man, that sucks, but I'm glad you did. Right. I'm glad you did go through that. Um, the earlier that we can get that, that relationship going, the better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's get into hypnotherapy and what you're doing. 
However, you know, I want, I want to talk about how you got into it. I know you talked a little bit about overcoming, you know, earlier in your career, you had, you worked with a hypnotherapist, so you were exposed then, but I want, I want you to share a little bit about, um, how you got into, uh, hypnotherapy. But before we do that, cause I, I hear this all the time. Um, when people hear being hypnotherapist or being hypnotized, there's, there's stigmatism, right? It's been around since the late 1800s. So it's been around for a long time, but still people are like, you know, one eye shut, one looking at you like, what, what is this? Is it work? You know, you're going to control me. But which is really funny is when you think about being hypnotized, these things hypnotize everybody every single day. So it's like, <laughs> yep. so someone's like, I've never been hypnotized. Yeah, you have. <laughs> so, so how do you, before you get into your journey and your story, how do sure. you get, how do you overcome that stigmatism that people kind of, kind of looking at you like, does this work? Uh, you're going to control me. Like, how, do, how do you get over some of that stuff? I usually make a joke about it, to be honest. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say, oh, I've, I've actually left my little pocket watch at home, you know, that, that I'll swing in front, you know, so uh, I won't be making you <laughs> look like a chicken today or something like that, you know, right. and then, but then I'll actually explain the mechanism behind all that and why it works and how it works. But um, I think, I think with getting over that stigma, my image and my, my, athletic career and stuff like that actually really helps because I, and my age as well, because I kind of book the trend for what a stereotypical hypnotist or a hypnotherapist is, you know, certainly in, in my experience anyway, there are not many hypnotherapists who, I mean, I qualified when I was, I was 26 when I got, got fully qualified as a clinical hypnotherapist. There aren't many mid twenties hypnotherapists around, at least in my experience. And there certainly aren't any that punch and kick people for most of their lives competitively, right? you know? So, um, so yeah, so my, my image, I think books the trend a little bit and particularly with some of my peers that, that I used to train and compete with because they'd, they'd see what I'm doing, you know, in martial arts and, and then they'd be like, and so you do this and you believe in this. And, and so that, that gives them a bit of cognitive dissonance straight away to where, oh, okay, maybe there is something to this then because you're like me. And, and so, you know, that, um, that helps to overcome some of that. But yeah, typically I'll make a joke about it and then I'll explain the mechanics of how it works. And, and that then, if you can explain it and, and use the science, that tends to get more buy-in and more appreciation from people, I, I find. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And how did you, how did you get into it? I mean, I know, man, when you're 26, you're right. You don't meet a lot of mid twenties, you know, individuals that are are doing that, and also certified and approved clinically. So, how did how did you get into it? Because I know that that's kind of a neat story of um, of a mentor, uh, kind of a big mentor that you were, you know, you were coaching under his wings. And how did you get into it? Sure. So, so when I was in my mid-teens, I developed a bit of a visualization routine for myself initially. I don't remember where I picked it up from. I can only imagine that it was from the sports psychology modules that I was studying as part of PE at school. And, and so that had piqued my curiosity in, in, this, in the mental side of things. And I developed this visualization routine where I would be in competition, I'd be in my warm-up, my physical warm-up, but I'd find somewhere quiet in the arena and I'd either sit or lie down 
and I would just close my eyes and I would just visualize what I wanted to do out there in the tournament. And I always felt that that helped to prepare me mentally and physically to go out and compete. And so that, that was the, the early initiation into it. Then in, um, I think it was early, early 2013, I believe, um, I was having a bit of a rough time, sort of personally, some stuff going on. Um, and some of the old issues that I'd had previously with my confidence with competing were starting mm. to crop back up a little bit for one reason or another. And there is a famous hypnotist from the UK called Paul McKenna. And he's he's done he's done some shows and stuff in America over the years, but not not in recent years, I don't think. Um and so, but he's, he's quite famous. He's quite renowned. He, he likes to name drop a lot of his famous friends when he's talking and stuff and in his books, but he, he was releasing a book at the time in early 2013 on a new at the time, um, technique called havening, which comes under the umbrella of amygdala depotentiation therapies or desensitization therapies, depending on the terminology you like to use. And so I was reading this article about this havening technique and his new book in a national newspaper here in the UK. And I found it fascinating. You know, it was really interesting. Obviously, given my state of mind at the time, it was much welcome to have, have something like that come into my life. And there was a competition in the article for three people in the UK to be selected to go down to central London to Paul McKenna's house and for him to do this havening technique there with you in person and to alleviate whatever issue it was that you were experiencing. And so, of course, as I said, my mindset wasn't great at the time. So I, I thought, what the heck, I'm going to enter this competition. And so I did, and I was fortunate, fortunate enough to be selected. And so I went down to central London, to Paul's house. Um, I met him and he and I got along really well to begin with initially anyway, because uh, we're both massive fans of Bruce Lee. Mm. And so we had that in common straight away. So we were discussing Bruce Lee movies and stuff straight off the bat. And yeah, so, so as the day went on, we, we did the, the Havening technique and it was amazing. It really shifted my whole mindset and perception about what was bothering me at the time. And with that, I asked him while I was there, I said, you know, I'm, I am absolutely fascinated with this world, the hypnotherapy work, the mental health work, et cetera. Um, and I'd love to get qualified and be able to help other people in the ways that it's helped me. And, and beyond. And so I said, what should I do? What qualifications should I get? Where should I start this journey? And he said to me, you should do the NLP. So the Neuro Linguistic Programming Practitioner course with Dr. Richard Bandler, one of the co-founders of NLP, um, because he was Paul's mentor. And he, he, in Paul's own words, taught him everything he knew. And so as it happened, Dr. Bandler was doing a course in London. Um, later on that year. And so that was the first thing I did. I booked on that course, did that qualification, got the NLP practitioner qualification. And then uh, through, through the wonders of Google, I started seeing adverts for clinical hypnotherapy qualifications. 
And sure enough, one of them was based in my hometown. And so I clicked on there. They were doing a free taster weekend. So go along for the weekend, completely free, and have an introductory uh, taster into clinical hypnotherapy, what it's about, et cetera, et cetera. And then with a view to booking on the full clinical qualification over a period of, uh, I think, 10 or 11 months. And so I went on the taster weekend and yeah, I was pretty much sold straight away. The only thing that was giving me pause for thought was the uh, the cost, considering that I'd get, I'd just, just recently paid two, two and a half thousand pounds for this NLP practitioner course right. to then shell out another 2000 pounds on another qualification very quickly. I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't absolutely loaded with money at the time. So it was a big consideration, but um, I'm so glad that I did decide to do it because it set me up on this journey and, uh, and I've been working with clients ever since I qualified. Wow. That's beautiful. And yeah. when you think about um, this work and the work that you do, the cool thing about what you do, even though, you know, it's hypnotherapy, but you, you do, you're working with all different kinds of athletes and you have different disciplines and, and different um, agendas, you know, you're dealing with weight loss, you're dealing with performers, all different kinds of things. We'll get here and we'll get in that in a second, but what fires you up being a hypnotherapist? Seeing such a profound change in my clients so quickly. Mm. That's, that's what really fires me up. You know, they could, they could literally come to me at 6 PM on a Wednesday evening and they could leave at 7 PM a completely different person for the better. You know, it's, and I love that. I love seeing that change in them when something has just really resonated with them and and just flicked that switch in their mind for their own good, you know, for what they're wanting to, to resolve or overcome. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. And, and I know, again, like you work with all different kinds of um, people, backgrounds and needs, but when you think about, well, share about all the different ones, because I know you do a lot of weight loss. Um, I know you do personal training, um, deal with martial arts, you deal with performers, kind of share with all the different kinds of areas that you focus on. And what's the one that kind of connects with you the most? Sure. So, the areas that I, I kind of specialize in are working with athletes, helping them to perform uh, to their best ab- ability, you know, and win win more titles, get promotion if they're in a, a league and, and stuff like that. I help clients with weight loss or weight management. And that can be, that's sometimes the athletes as well. You know, if they're in, if they're in a weight class sport specifically, or, or if they just need, to lose a little bit of weight to then perform better in their sport. That's another thing that we can deal with, but then just weight loss in general. And then the other thing is uh, overcoming anxiety. Though Those are the areas that I tend to focus on, mm. but, um, but saying that I've, I've worked with so many different types of clients and different issues over the years, some very out there things before and some, some obscure ailments and stuff like that, even, even physical issues, you know, physical pain. That was a big one, um, for me. And that was a real, this one particular client that I'm thinking of was a real eye opener for me as to the power of the mind. You know, I won't go into the details of it, but she was suffering with some quite severe pain stemming from her back. And 
she thought at the time that she had maybe a trapped nerve in her back. And, and I was seeing her for something else at the time. I was supposed to be seeing her for something else. And so, and she wanted to see if we could do anything for this pain. And I like to plan my sessions. So I'll do a consultation with a client and then I'll go away and plan my approach. This one was completely off guard and completely off the cuff. I just, I just kind of, what I would say is I winged it because I had no time to prepare. She just came to see me about something else and just presented me with this, you know, unbeknownst to me. And so I did an improvised session with her over just 25 minutes. And the difference was like night and day. She, she went from limping horribly and being in physical pain to being able to move freely, completely pain-free within 25 minutes. And all I did was talk to her, you know, but in a hypnotic trance and that, that blew my mind, you know, that, that, that happened that quickly, that profoundly um, with something as visceral and real as a physical pain issue, you know, and I, I sent her to the, you know, to the, physio physiotherapist or physical therapist as you guys would say over there and just to have her checked out physically and have him put his hands on and make sure everything was okay there and structurally and stuff and it was you know um and so yeah that that one really blew my mind um wow yeah so it's it's a powerful thing i love it you know when you when you when you talk, like being a practitioner and you're dealing with physical pain i don't know how you feel Right. I mean, as practitioners, there's this, um, you know, you have to be mindful of what you're doing and what you're saying. And, and you know, because you, you truly don't know how they feel. And I, and I say this because I spent two decades um, with pain, not only in my hip, throughout my back, but I had two hip replacements on, the, on my hip before I was 40. And I had so many people trying to help me with acupuncturists and, and doctors and, you know, chiropractors. But and they felt for me and there was empathy, but they just didn't know how I feel. And so as a practitioner, you're dealing with someone's pain and you don't know how, you really don't know. You can see it, but you just don't know it. And then you're at a point where you said like, you always plan. And mm. in the moment you had to really trust yourself, mm. like you, you know, and that's for a practitioner. That's, um, there's sometimes we're just in that moment where you just got to trust your training. You got to trust what you're doing. Um, and it seemed like you did, and you did the in, in the follow up and directing her to a physio was beautiful and perfect. But have you been in other situations where you've had to like, uh oh, like not really totally prepared for this, but I'm going to trust myself? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. One <clears throat> one time, I'll I'll tell this story. It was it's quite amusing um, with with hindsight and after the fact, but at the time it was. Yeah, I was really having to trust my myself. Um, I was doing a group hypnosis session for the uh, the kickboxing team and some of the some of the team's parents because some of the the team were were kids um, at my old martial arts club. There were fourteen in the room with me, and so it was a group sort of relaxation, confidence boosting session. And so I delivered the session. And then one of the things that we do is we'll do a suggestibility test normally before doing any hypnosis, but I decided to flip it and do it at the end as kind of a convincer for everyone that this would work or that, that this works. And so, and I did one that I'm, I'm sure you you've come across before Grant and, and probably a number of your listeners have as well, but it's a, a 
magnetic hands exercise, for instance, where you hold the hands out and imagine you've got magnets of opposite poles in your hands. Imagine what the magnets feel like, etc. You know, with the with the view to the hands coming together. Right. And so I was doing that with with everyone in the room at the end of this session, and they were all stood up, eyes closed. I'm giving them suggestions for for their hands attracting and coming together, etc. And after a couple of minutes of those suggestions, some people's hands had come all the way together. Some people's were still apart, but they'd moved closer. Everybody's hands had at least moved a little bit. And so after that couple of minutes, I I said, okay, everybody open your eyes, look at your hands, look at your neighbor's hands, have a giggle, have a laugh. And so everybody was amazed by it. They thought, oh yeah, that's really cool. They were having a laugh and stuff. And then I said, okay, you can relax your hands and put them down now. And everybody did except one person. And her hands were like this. And she said, no, I can't. And I just kind of smiled and looked at her and I said, you can. And she went like this, just to illustrate to you on the camera, Grant, she went, no, I can't. And I could see she was starting to freak out. Like her hands were stuck solid together. And so... I mean, I'm going to swear now just because of what I thought yeah. at the time. So in, in my head, I thought, shit, this has never happened before. And and I'd not that long qualified. So so I ha- my experience was limited, you know, with this. And so I then, I went over to her and I channeled my my inner Paul McKenna. And I got her to just look at me and just focus. And I just said with complete confidence, you can open your hands now. And I clicked my fingers in her ear and she went like this and her hands came apart and she freaked out in a good way, in a good way. And everybody else did as well because everybody was watching at that moment, you know? And so it was the ultimate pressure, pressure moment. And I just, I just played it cool. You know, I was just, I was just like, well, there there you go. You see, but in my head, I'm thinking, thank God for that, that, you know, that that actually worked, but yeah, I trusted it in the moment and it paid off, you know, but again, it's another illustration of how powerful this thing between our ears is, you know? Oh man. And I've heard of stories actually like that, but it's, uh, it, it makes sense why that could possibly happen, man. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that, man. That was great. <laughs> that was great. So, I mean, I could talk to you for another hour and there's so much more, yeah. but how do my, how do my listeners, how do they learn more about uh, what you do hypnotherapy, if you will, but how do they get, get connected with you? How do they look at, you know, sure. find you on social media? Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually having a, a website built and developed at the moment. So I don't have a website as of, as of now, but social media wise, I'm on, I'm on Facebook and my, uh, my page on there is Stuart Wade, personal training and hypnotherapy. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the handle hypno PT stew. That's all one word. So H Y P N O P T STU. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well um, as Stuart Wade, sports performance and weight loss specialist. And the best way to reach me directly, if, if anybody has any inquiries or any queries about this, is my email address, which is Stuart, S T U A R T, at don't, so D O N T, hyphen lose, L O S E, hyphen weight, W E I G H T. .co.uk. That's that's my business email address. That's the best way for people to reach out and connect with me directly, in addition to uh, the social media there. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, Stuart, thank you for sharing your story. 
and what you do for athletes and performers. Um, man, I, I'm, I love hearing this because I, I totally, I'm, I'm connected to your work. I understand it. I want to do more of it on my own. Um, but I think it's just something that we need to talk more like right now with mental health, it's such a big focus, which it should be. Um, and I think with the hypnotherapy, we don't talk about that enough as it being another intervention for mental health. So, um, so again, thank you for being on my show. No, th- thank you for having me, Grant. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. I've loved every second. Beautiful. Woo! Woo! Woo!